All set? Great. Uh, welcome, everybody. I guess uh, this is the diehard uh, crew on the last day of the conference, and you're all still here. Amazing. Um, my name is Keith Stewart. Um, I'm a uh, specialist solution architect from AWS. Um, for the last two and a half years, I've been specializing in the analytics space, uh, in particular EMR. But of course, nothing works in a vacuum, so EMR works with a bunch of other AWS services, and customers don't just have a problem that's just solved with EMR. They typically have other things. What I'm going to talk about today is how to leverage not just EMR, but other AWS services to um, be able to do uh, predictive analytics, machine learning and predictive analytics. Um, just to calibrate my understanding of where, where people are in terms of their experience, quick show of hands. How many use S3? It's probably the whole, okay. How many use EMR? Okay. How many use Spark uh, on EMR? Okay, what about Spark ML on EMR? Okay. Uh, what about AWS Glue? Okay, smaller number. How about uh, Athena? Oh, wow, surprising number. Okay. Uh, what about QuickSight? Okay, smaller number. All right. So I'm going to try, is, uh, assuming we have enough time, to uh, talk about the the various components, why they're advantageous for, for your uh, predictive analytics needs. Uh, and hopefully, if we have time at the end, I'll be able to get through a demo and try to show you how you can quickly go from raw data to training a model, making predictions, um, querying uh, results with Athena, and uh, maybe even um, displaying things with uh, QuickSight. All right. So, Let's see here. Okay, so what we're going to cover, predictive analytics, of course. We're going to define it, you know, what is it, why it's important these days uh, as time goes on. Um, you know, how can you do it at scale? You know, we're all drowning in data. Companies nowadays are dealing with petabytes, multiple petabytes, uh, sometimes even more. Um, I think was it was yesterday, uh, there was a company that uh, used our snowmobile because uh, they, they have uh, hundreds of petabytes. So, so we're, we're definitely in the petabyte age. Um, so how do you deal with that, that scale? Also, how do you move quickly in the analytics space? Um, prior to a number of the services that we've offered, it was a very painstaking and slow process to be able to do predictive analytics. So we'll talk about how, how you move quickly. If we break this question down into its components, uh, we can ask, how do you do a data lake um, with S3 um, and AWS Glue? Um, so a data lake, of course, is going to give you that capacity to manage petabytes of data. Um, then we're going to ask the question, how do you train a predictive machine learning model in a distributed fashion? In other words, with a, with a cluster of, of servers, um, as opposed to your laptop. Um, and so it was specifically focusing on EMR, Apache Spark, and Spark ML. And then we'll use the uh, Zeppelin notebook um, to, to be able to quickly put together the, um, the, the code. Um, and then how do you do distributed SQL queries over potentially petabytes of data, right? And that, of course, you can use Athena for. And then how do you visualize it? QuickSight. 
So, and then at the end, we'll do, um, depending on how much time we have, we'll try to get as quickly through all the, the um, things we talk about through a demo. Okay, so what is predictive analytics? Why is it important? So just a few definitions. Analytics is really the discovery, interpretation, and communication of meaningful patterns in data. Predictive analytics goes one step further. It brings in a bunch of statistical, uh, rigorous statistical techniques from areas like predictive modeling, machine learning, data mining. Um, and you use that to analyze the uh, current base of data as well as historical data and learn patterns within that data to be able to make predictions or classifications, or what we call inferences. Um, and you can see examples of what customers are trying to do with things like, you know, questions like which customers are likely to be the most profitable, right? That's a, an important question. How much revenue should I expect from this particular customer? Right? Which customers are likely to churn? Right? If, if we're not doing a great job keeping customers happy, there's a risk we could lose them. So what's the, what's the probability for, for certain customers? Um, among all the customers we have, what, which are likely to respond to our next big offer? And then what's the probability that a specific customer uh, will respond to a specific offer? Right? Then you can look um, at the product or service offerings that you have. And you can leverage predictive analytics to ask questions like, what products should we offer or develop? Right? What items are likely to be purchased together? It's often called basket analysis. Uh, and then there's your operations, your business operations. You'd like to understand things like, um, are the metrics for our particular service, are they nominal or is there something anomalous about them? Right? And you'd like to know that as, as soon as possible. Uh, and then if you're running equipment, um, what's the probability that it's likely to fail within the next, uh, um, within the near future? Okay, so things are changing in, in uh, the business landscape and, and in terms of data processing, and predictive analytics is becoming increasingly vital. Okay? Um, for the last umpteen years, companies have been accumulating lots and lots of data, a lot of transactional data. Um, now there's social media, um, there's IoT devices generating data. So companies have been accumulating data for a long time. And they're, you know, they, they've, they're sitting on all this data and then wondering, you know, how can they get value out of that? How can they get insights? Um, We've built, um, with the technologies I've talked about, AWS has built big data technologies, or analytics as we call them, to uh, address the data management um, and the, the processing of that data. Uh, but there, there's some um, real pressure now to be faster than your competitor, to, to be able to um, take advantage of your, your data and insights from that data to better uh, address question, uh, better um, uh, treat customers, give them a, a more optimal experience, to run things more efficiently, um, prevent, uh, you know, preventative maintenance on equipment that, that might die. Um, and so we, there's an increasing pressure to do that. Um, and so you want to leverage all this accumulated data and, and do classifications and, and so on. Okay. Um, and there's a, a desire to evolve now uh, if we take a look at the kind of the history of the predictive uh, of analytics, um, 
you know, we used to be satisfied with doing quarterly reports, monthly reports, uh, maybe even weekly reports, but that's a rear view mirror uh, perspective on your data. You're, ask, you're trying to answer questions, what happened in the past, right? That has value, um, but it's not as important as what's going to happen next, right? So companies are now trying to understand in real time through alerts um, what's happening right now on our website, right? What's happening right now with a specific customer? You know, are they, are they happy? Are they sad? Um, and, and, you know, equipment, et cetera. You want to know instantaneously right now what's happening. But even that's not getting uh, um, good enough for, for um, companies. A lot of them want to be able to make forecasts uh, and, and move into the uh, predictive analytics space. So it's, it's clearly an evolution of what companies expect now from their data. And, and you want to be able to take advantage of the tools that can do that. OK, so how do you do this at scale? Right? We talked about petabyte and more uh, data. How do you do it with agility? We like to think of um, the big data problem space in these kind of abstract phases. Of course, there's storage. You've got to have your data in some place in order to be able to make, um, do, make analyses and make predictions from it. So storage has to be addressed, and there's lots of different solutions for that. You want to be able to process it, do ETL, transform the data, clean it up, uh, and that turns out to be a significant uh, percentage of the time. Um, and then you want to be able to do the machine learning and inferencing, and then finally be able to visualize uh, results so that you can quickly identify uh, situations. Um, those abstract components have solutions out there, um, lots of open source solutions. We have lots of customers running these open source solutions on uh, EC2, for example. Um, but what we, we offer uh, is aimed at, is managed services, which is aim, aiming to relieve the heavy lifting that, that uh, customers have. So instead of taking the, the um, kind of the wild west of the open source technologies, trying to harness that, deploy it, maintain it, et cetera, we, we provide systems that are fully managed you just launch them, take advantage of them, and uh, you let, let us uh, worry about babysitting the servers that are in, uh, behind those. Um, and we even include now, of course, a number of serverless uh, applications. So managed services are a great way to gain agility because you're going to save yourself a lot of headaches and a lot of time by having systems that are automated in their deployment and, and configuration. Okay, so if we take those, those abstract uh, components, um, collection or ingestion, storage, processing or analysis, and then consuming or visualizing the data, we have a lot of solutions. And you'll see both um, open source and managed services here. I'm obviously not going to go through all these. Uh, but we have a lot of choices. And there are, there are different trade-offs with the different options. So if you're going to collect uh, and, and store the data, there are differences in terms of uh, latency, in terms of um, the um, durability, and, and so on, uh, and of course cost. Um, and so, so if you're if you're uh, dealing with uh, data 
with different temperatures, as we show on here. Temperatures meaning, you know, the velocity of the data, how quickly it needs to be captured and dealt with, um, or whether it's cold. And, and so that, that can often determine the, the uh, pricing and the choice of technology that you, you'll use. Okay. So we're not going to cover all those. I'm going to focus on these components here, Amazon S3, uh, AWS Glue, uh, which are the, the storage um, and um, ETL parts of the, of the solution, Spark and SparkML um, on EMR, and, uh, um, and Athena. I'm not going to talk about AI, but that's a solution that's out there as well, and we have uh, QuickSight as well. So. Why S3? So S3 is, is an excellent solution for a data lake. It doesn't care what the data is, whether it's a single byte or a five terabyte video uh, file. Uh, so it's, it, it will hold any, any kind of data. It's scalable and elastic. Uh, if any of you have run Hadoop clusters on-prem, you know what a pain it is to, to have to stay ahead of your storage requirements. You know, you have to have enough capacity through, say, HDFS uh, to give you 3x replication of your data. If you leverage the decoupling of storage and compute that EMR provides using S3 as the backend uh, persistence, that will take care of your, your storage. You don't need to be on top of how fast your data is growing because S3 is there to grow elastically to accommodate that data. Um, 11 nines of durability, so you're protecting your data when you put it on S3. Um, and this is, the, the bandwidth is an interesting consideration. Um, there's no upper limit on the aggregate inbound bandwidth going into S3. The only limit is the number of uh, hosts and processes and threads that are simultaneously talking to S3. So if you need a higher bandwidth, you need more data going in in a, in a shorter period of time, sp uh, have more hosts and, and processes and threads sending that data to S3. All of that uh, bandwidth will be accommodated. There's no upper limit on that. Extremely low cost, 2.3 cents per gigabyte month or 23 bucks per terabyte. Um, and virtually all the AWS services take advantage of S3. It's a foundational service rock solid, it's ideal for a data lake. Um, and this just summarizes uh, the, the benefits, um, including things like performance, and, and uh, it's integrated with all the other AWS services. And it's easy to use. Um, AWS Glue. So Glue uh, came out, um, I guess it was, what, earlier this year. And Glue is aiming to reduce the heavy lifting involved in um, the ETL and, and processing and schematizing uh, of your data, taking semi-structured or unstructured data and turning it into structure, superimposing a structure on it that you can then work with in terms of queries and, and processing. Um, so, but a really key part, and we'll, we'll take a look uh, closely at this, the, the really key part is the data catalog. So the Glue data catalog is a service that will crawl your data. You, you simply indicate which data sources, um, S3 buckets, uh, for example, um, you tell it where to, to crawl. And what it'll do is on a, either on a recurring basis or on a, a triggered basis when you launch it, it will, walk, it will um, crawl through your data 
um, think of um, CSV, Parquet, etc., and then it will generate the schema for you. you so you don't need to do ex data exploration to figure out what kind of schema to superimpose on your data. Um, the data catalog will do that, and it's pretty quick. So once your data lands on S3, you launch uh, Glue uh, to, uh, on it, which is a fully managed service, and it will turn that data into something that you can then very quickly start to query and, and work with in a, in a structured way. Um, it'll also do transformation, ETL. We won't uh, uh, get into that today. Um, as I said, you can do it on a recurring basis with a job scheduler. Um, it runs on top of Apache Spark, so it's very fast uh, and integrated with a, a bunch of other data stores. And you can, you can work with the data through a JDBC connection. Um, right, so you discover it. Um, so it, it manages the metadata. So those of you familiar with Hadoop, and EMR, um, it will create the metadata meta, um, entries corresponding to your unstructured and semi-structured data, uh, the Hive uh, Metastore. Um, and so, and, and, and then that Hive Metastore becomes available for a bunch of other systems like EMR um, um, and, and, and um, Spark and Presto and, and so on. Um, so that's just a, a screenshot, but we'll, we'll uh, get into the demo on this. Um, we've, we've extended it now so you can search, uh, the, search the metadata to find your data sources. So a lot of us will be accumulating multiple different types of data, uh, and we may um, uh, tag those in, in different ways. But um, the Glue Data Catalog allows you to, to find those through, through searching. Um, we talked about the connections, uh, classifications. So when it's schematizing the data, it's looking at the entries within the columns, okay, if it's like a CSV or, or a JSON or whatever, it'll, it'll scan the data, uh, the sample of data in the columns, and from that automatically infer what's the, the appropriate type, data type for that column. And it'll add that to, to the schema. Right. And it manages uh, versions. Okay, so it populates the Hive um, using uh, Hive DDL, and you can also do bulk imports. And, and we talked about crawlers, right? So the crawlers, they they um, they have built-in classifiers to crawl through things like JSON and and XML and and Parquet, etc. Uh, but you can also design your own classifiers. So if you have some oddball data format, you can do, do that, and then it'll, it'll take advantage of those and extracts the schemas. Okay, and uh, uh, you'll be able to um, um, contribute to the open source any, any type of crawlers that you think would be generally useful. Okay, it'll work with uh, partitions. So if you're familiar with Hadoop and, and familiar with how EMR uh, can, can um, um, partition the data on something like HDFS or S3, the, the um, particularly time series data and, and so on, um, Glue will automatically pick, pick those up as well. Right, so you can run them on schedule. You can, do, you can have it triggered by schema changes um, and it's serverless. There's no server for you to spin up and babysit. Amazon um, EMR, um, I think a good number of you are familiar with that. This is our scalable Hadoop as a service. 
That's something of a misnomer, though. It's really more of a multi, um, massively parallel uh, processing platform, MPP platform. It runs a variety of MPP frameworks, not just Hadoop. Um, it does uh, Spark. It also does uh, Presto uh, and, a, and a bunch of other um, MPP uh, frameworks. Um, HBase as well. Uh, it's easy to use. It's a managed service. You focus in terms of the cluster and how big you want it to be. You don't worry about individual servers. It's on demand, so you can spin up a cluster anytime and you can shut it down anytime and you cease to pay uh, the, the hourly. Uh, I guess now we're uh, charging by the second, so you don't ha you. Um, you can use it for less than an hour and, and uh, save money compared to, to what it was uh, previously because we were rounding it down to the nearest second. Um, and there's different ways to, to uh, pay for things. You can have re reserved instances based on a commitment to use certain types for, for uh, the year. Um, spot pricing, so it can automatically take advantage of the spot pool, right? The instances that are not yet allocated uh, to customers. And it works with a variety of uh, file systems. Most of our customers, however, are using S3 because of the economics and uh, all the other benefits of, of S3 and the high performance. And now, uh, recently with uh, 5.8, since, since 5.8, we're now up to 5.10 of EMR, uh, it works with the uh, AWS Glue data catalog. And, and uh, we'll, we'll walk through an example of that with, um, with EMR. Uh, and of course, end-to-end uh, -end security, very popular, lots and lots of customers. This is just a small sample of the big name customers that are using, using EMR on a daily basis. Um, some of them with, with uh, multiple petabytes of data. Um, Spark ML is very powerful. We, um, you know, Spark, Spark ML, Apache Spark ML includes a whole, a whole host of different dis, um, models that you can train with. Uh, in our demo, we'll walk through an example with decision trees. Um, but it, it includes uh, capabilities of implementing what's called a pipeline, where you can take data that's um, represented as, RDD, uh, as uh, data frames, um, and you can uh, queue up or link together a bunch of transformations on, on those uh, uh, data frames. Um, and manage that as a first-order entity. You could persist the pipeline uh, and then retrieve it in some other, some other application and immediately use whatever model was trained with that pipeline. Um, okay. Uh, decision trees, everybody know what decision trees are? This is a simple example showing, uh, you know, you have a bunch of um, uh, pre uh, predictors or attributes and then uh, you'll have a target attribute that you're trying to predict based on some inherent pattern uh, in, the, in those other attributes. And essentially what it's doing is building a decision tree in, uh, in memory, a branching structure where there's cr uh, criteria that have to be checked uh, as you, uh, as you uh, work through the, work through the, the tree to um, categorize or, or make predictions on the attribute. Another example, this one's a, a kind of a financial one, bank loan write-offs. So, so you can look at uh, balances, the age of the person, whether they're employed or not, uh, and then uh, make predictions as to whether there'll be a, a bank write-off. And that um, it makes the point down here that you take features together as vectors. So 
most or nearly all machine learning works with numerical vectors. You can, you can train on, uh, on categorical data and, and string data, but those strings have to be first converted in, into uh, indexes, um, in, into numerical values, and then bundled together to create your, your feature that uh, will, will uh, inform the model. Okay. Quick sight, fast business analytics, um, wide variety of uh, data visualizations, works with a wide variety of data sources. You can perform ad hoc analyses um, and, and supports hundreds of thousands of users. We have an enterprise version, so you can give your whole company uh, access to, to QuickSight. And uh, we've expanded the, the visualizations um, and this allows, because it runs in the cloud where your data is and where your, res your computational results are, uh, it's very fast at taking that data. You're not having to download data or move it around. Um, QuickSight will, will work with it immediately because both of them are in the, in the cloud. Right, that's just a summary of integrated, cloud native, uh, super fast and easy, cost effective. It's, I think it's down to like $9 per seat uh, per, per month, so very inexpensive. It's not, uh, it's not a Tableau or a MicroStrategy uh, or Looker. It's, it's, um, it's not meant for uh, power users that like to really play around with data. What it is is for, for the average user to be able to easily um, take, take data that they can see in, the in their account in the cloud and very quickly put together visualizations and be able to share those with their colleagues, all without being a, a, a data scientist. Okay. One of the capabilities underlying um, uh, QuickSight is a, uh, an engine called Spice, which is super fast, parallel, in-memory computational engine, I think. Um, that's why we shorten it to Spice. But essentially, it's a, a data cube, if you want to think of it that way, running in memory. Okay? So, so data that you want to analyze, even on S3, which is persisted data, uh, can be pulled into Spice, and then you can interrogate that in a variety of ways, generating a, a variety of different uh, visualizations, um, one after the other, uh, without, without any delay. Okay, so let's... Um, let's do a uh, demo here. All right. So just to set things up, we're gonna we're gonna pretend we're a, a, a car company called Lux Cars, right? And uh, we're um, we're gonna be bringing a fancy, expensive car to market. Uh, we'll call it the Luxmobile. But we want to do some intelligent marketing. We want to leverage predictive analytics to understand who is going to be the best. Uh, type of customer for this. Ideally, we want customers that we think have higher than average incomes. They have high enough incomes to afford our car. Um, we don't want to waste our time advertising to, to uh, people who are unlikely to buy it, right? So we want to focus the marketing on, on uh, wealthy um, people. And we're going, to have, we're going to take advantage of some demographic data um, where we have some characteristics for the geography that we want to target, uh, things like the age of the individual, the, the uh, number of years of education, whatever degree they had, you know, what industries they work in, all those kind of demographic data. We have those, but we don't know their incomes, right? So what we want to be able to do is infer their income 
based on those other attributes. Not infer in terms of precise values, but in a kind of binary fashion. Uh, now, the data set I'm using in this demo is an old, old data set. So the, the, the cutoff for wealthy, I guess, is uh, 50K. Um, so it's an old data set, but uh, it, it serves our purposes to illustrate. Um, right, so, um, so we need to predict salary or the salary, salary category, income category, from the, from the demographic data. So how are we going to approach this? Okay, so we're going to take U.S. Census income data and move that into the cloud. So we'll, we'll see that process. We want to schematize the data. So, so the data is, is in file format. It's in CSV format. But we want to schematize it. We want to superimpose a ta tabular structure on it um, that we can then leverage to, to do uh, things like machine learning. So we want to train a Spark machine learning model on the data. Um, and then we want to do a batch prediction given a bunch of, a bunch of um, uh, individuals, anonymized individuals, of course, with, with, um, without income data. We want to be able to use our trained model to figure out what category are they in. Um, and this, this step I, I actually didn't get to in, in the uh, demo, so we're, we'll skip that. The, the idea was that if you combined um, uh, income predictions with uh, state or uh, zip codes, for example, you, and, and you had a, an idea of the number of individuals that are in the upper category um, uh, for, for that uh, zip code, you could compute something like a, a, a wealth density Right? You could look to see what, what, what kind of above average incomes uh, per zip code, per, per square mile uh, would be available. And then that, that could drive your marketing. Right? And then we want to visualize uh, predictions. Okay? And then share the results with our marketing director at uh, Luxcars. Okay. So we're going to take data that's sitting out on the um, U.S., out on a, a website. It actually isn't the, it's the U.S. Census data, but it's at the UCI Machine Learning Repository. Well, we're going to, uh, in AWS, we're going to spin up an EC2 instance, um, download that data, unpack it, get it into, S, into an S3 bucket. Okay. Um, and then we're going to run glue on it to uh, schematize it. To, to uh, be able to uh, create entries in, in the um, Glue data catalog in, in the meta, meta store that we can then take advantage of. We're going to have an e, uh, Amazon EMR cluster uh, running Zeppelin Notebook and Spark, Spark Machine Learning. And so then we're going to take that data, the, the uh, tra uh, training portion, and train a decision tree uh, using Spark ML. Um, and then we're going to take other the customers for which we don't know incomes and make predictions um, and store those. We'll uh, query them with Athena. And then, um, and then uh, um, depending on time, we'll, we'll get to QuickSight and visualize them. Okay? And then with one of the things you can do with QuickSight is build these uh, stories. Um, so you can put together a particular perspective on the data. It's web-based, so you can share that with, with uh, colleagues such as our marketing director. Okay, so let's build this. All right. You probably can't read that, right? 
Tell me when that uh, gets readable for people at the back. Is that good? Too large? No? Okay. So um, I won't bother spinning up an EC2 instance. I'm sure you guys have done that. Uh, but I have one already running. So let me, uh, let me connect to that. Actually, this text you probably can't read, right? Okay. And that needs to be larger, too. It's readable initially on my screen, but when it, when it attaches to the high-definition projector, it scrunches it down. Okay, so... Um, all right, so, so with EC2, you know, you need to SSH into it with your key. So we're going to do that. Assuming I've got network connectivity. All right. Oh, that might have been the tunnel. Okay. Oh, it looks like I may already. Okay, I'm already logged in on this, this uh, terminal here. Okay, so what we would do is um, use a wget to, to pull the data down. Um, I've already done that, uh, and I've got the uh, data in, um, let's see, census income test. Let's see. All right, so we would, um, some of you or most of you perhaps are already familiar with this, but we, we could create a bucket using our CLI. So we say AWS uh, S3 make bucket. We give it a S3 URI and we'll call it um, test bucket. Okay. Let's, uh, oh, probably because <laughs> I need to. Uh, Okay, so that, that was successful. And then we could uh, do AWS, uh, S3, CP, and we'll take the um, census income data and uh, put that into our bucket. That is test bucket. And we'll, we'll call it, uh, we could call it training. Okay, so that data is up on, uh, in an S3 bucket. Um, I've actually got another bucket with, with uh, better data. But uh, so we'll move on to now, um, so that's an S3. Now what we want to do is run glue and schematize uh, that data. So we'll go AWS glue. And um, let's see. Actually, I want to delete that one because we're going to recreate that as part of the demo. OK. 
Okay, and uh, since it's training, where is it now? CSV. Too many. Oh, here it is. Okay, so so if we took that data and ran uh, glue on it, this is what we would have. I'll I'll go um, I'll draw, I'll launch a crawler to do to do another another one just so you see that process. Okay, that's not the one. So we add a crawler. We can call it um, incomes data CR04. I think I've got other ones there. You indicate the, the you're going to use S3. Uh, you could use other data sources, um, and we're going to we have our data in S3, so we're going to find that, and we'll go to um, where's that one I want to income incomes ML right so there that one, and then we have this. Okay, and then we're going to go, we're not going to grab any other data, we're going to stick with that. Of course, you, for permissions, you need to use a role that gives you, that gives glue permission to work with that data. We're going to have it run on demand. We'll create a new new uh, database. Let's see, what do we, oops. And that. So these are all the, the specs we gave it. We say finish. And then we get this prompt that says uh, it was created to run on demand. You want to run it now? So we do that. Now, um, that'll complete fairly quickly, but I've, I've got a, a complete uh, data set already crawled by, by Glue. Um, and what that does, when Glue is done, it um, creates the database or reuses a database that we already had. Um, and the one I'm going to use, this is small, is, um, where is it, incomes, this one here. So that database, and then we have a bunch of tables in here, uh, and we're going we're gonna, to um, take a look at this one. So this, this had, you can see it was able to schematize, it was able to look at the comma-separated data, the header, and to be able to work out the, the appropriate schema. Um, for, for that uh, data sitting on S3 located at incomes ML CSV2. Okay. So now we'll go to uh, the machine learning. So um, now I could spin up an EMR cluster, but it would take 10 minutes, and I don't want to waste your time with that. So what I've done is already spun up a, a, a cluster with Spark. Um, and as for those that have used EMR, you know it's very straightforward. If you want Spark or Presto or HBase, there's just checkboxes in the web UI that, that you click on, and when it spins up, it'll have those applications. If you're launching EMR from the command line with the AWS uh, CLI, uh, there are just parameters that you can use to specify what set of applications you want running. Anyways, I spun up, previously spun up this cluster uh, with Spark. And, um, and, and Zeppelin. So this Zeppelin notebook you're seeing, you probably can't read that. This Zeppelin notebook is running on the master node in, in the EMR cluster. Um, and within that notebook, we're, we're running uh, Spark. You can see the, the directive there, Spark. 
So we're going to run a bunch of Spark code in this notebook. And although the notebook is running on the master node, it is distributing the processing across all the nodes in the cluster. And I, I think this is like a 10-node cluster or something like that. But anyways, if I, if I clear the, um, the output, let's see. Clear output. Yep. So we start over. OK, so now I, I just have code. And what I'm doing here is asking Spark to look at the data catalog, the, this Metastore that Glue created, and give us, um, you know, and, and set the current database that Spark is going to use from Glue to, to that incomes 3 uh, DB. Uh, and then it's going to show us a list of tables in that database. So I execute this cell, and we get the list of, uh, data, uh, of tables, right? Um, this is going to perform a sequence. Is that readable? Is it readable? Or let me make it a little bit larger. Um, so this is going to create a data frame by running uh, SQL, Spark SQL, across that um, entry in, in the Glue uh, data catalog, that table. Um, in this case, it's called uh, CSV2. And it's going to pull out certain fields. Now, this data set, the census data set is very large. It's got like over 40 attributes. Uh, we're only concerned with a few of them. We're going to look at age, the working class um, attribute, um, and um, the education achieved, whether the, the person has relationships, the, that kind of thing that comes, and, and their income category, of course. Uh, so we're going, to, we're going to create this data frame, which puts the data in memory. So this will execute, and it tells us the, the schema here, the schema of the data frame. There's more, more data, more, at, more attributes. Um, the blue bar in, was indicating progress. And then we ask it uh, here to sh give us a, a sampling of 10, show us 10, 10 rows from, from that. Okay? So we've got age, working class, education. And you can see the kind. Some of them are string values. Some of them are, are numeric values. Uh, and then we have the income category, less than or equal to 50K or greater than 50K. All right, so we've got, now got the data in memory. Now we're going to ask, we're, we're going to start to do the training. Um, and actually, I think there's supposed to be, yeah, there's some text there. We're going to convert these fields. As I said earlier, machine learning typically requires numerical data. And it has to take string data categorical data and convert those into numbers and then build vectors to, to represent the numerical features. And that's what the models get trained on. Now, you can always, once you have predictions, you can go back to what the original labels were. And we'll see that um, in, a, in another cell coming up. Um, but this code, um, again, if you can read that, uh, we're going to convert the, the string attribute, the working class string attribute, we're going to create a um, work class indexer. And essentially what that does is we take the data frame that uh, we created earlier, okay, um, and or when we execute, it'll, it'll create. Um, and then it's going to convert the values into a set of indices um, based on the, the range of uh, values that are available. Uh, and then it'll set that into a separate column, separate field called output. Uh, called work class index. Similarly, for the education, we're going to take that string and convert that into a numeric uh, index relationship, and then the income uh, indexer as well. Then we use something called a vector assembler. 
which takes a bunch of these uh, attributes and that, that are now uh, numerical and, and builds a vector, uh, assembles a vector from those, and, and calls that set, of, that set of vectors features. That's what's going to be used in the training. Here we're simply dividing up the data between training and, and test data. Um, here we're instantiating a decision tree classifier where we, we tell it what is the, the you know, what's the, um, uh, what, what's, what um, column to call the predictions, right? Or the set of, set of columns. Uh, and then what co uh, columns that we've already declared, in other words, the features, that will be used to train the model, right? And then here is where we, we, are a, we build a, a label converter which can go backwards from index to the corresponding uh, label, string label. Uh, and then we build a pipeline. So SparkML uh, version, I think it was two, came out with the pipeline architecture where you can put all these things together and then manage that as a first order entity, persisting it, retrieving it in a different application, uh, et cetera. So we basically string together stages shown here, including the assembler, including the income indexer, the label, uh, the decision tree, and then the label uh, converter. And essentially all we're doing is saying there's a series of transformations on this data frame that we've, that we've pulled out of the database, a series of transformations that result in additional columns for things like predictions, right? Uh, and, and as well as the numeric features. Um, and then at the end, the last column uh, gives us the conversion back to the original label. So this is a relatively small data set, so when I execute this, it should go pretty quickly. It's just telling us what it's doing. The blue bar indicates it's still running. You've got a percent up here. Those of you who have done SparkML know all, all of this, but it looked, sounded like the, the audience was um, a significant number of people that hadn't used SparkML. So, okay, so it's um, almost done here. It's letting us know the various things it's instantiated and declared. Uh, and yeah, and so it's finished. All right, so the next cell, the next cell should be text, yeah, fit the decision tree classifier. So all we've done so far is um, queued up the, the data frames for the, the eventual um, uh, training of the model. We've declared the pipeline, but we haven't yet trained the model. That's where the next step is. And this is where we take the, date, the pipeline that we uh, declared and we ask it to fit, fit the, the pipeline to the training data. So essentially that runs the training data through that pipeline, through all the various uh, stages, through the various transformations, and results in a trained model. Right? So that, that goes fairly quickly as well. Okay, so it told us it down here, it instantiated the model. And then this step, we're getting near the end here. This step is gonna now make some predictions on, on a different set of, of data. This is where we're going to infer the income uh, of um, uh, samples for, uh, that, that for which we did not have income, prediction, uh, income data. So here, we're taking the model that's now been trained we're asking it to uh, do, do a transformation 
in other words, a prediction on the, the test data. And that results in a data frame called PREDS. And then this one, we're pulling out certain fields because there's a lot of intermediate vectors and stuff that just kind of um, pollute the screen. Uh, so I'm selectively pulling out interesting and useful attributes. And you can see them declared there. And we're going to show ten, um, 10 samples. And then we're going to write this data back out to S3 uh, using the hive, a hive table uh, called uh, predicted um, uh, incomes. Okay. So we'll run that, and it's fairly quick, too. Okay, so we got our, our 10 samples. This is, uh, these are the predicted label here. Okay. The blue bar says it's still running. Okay, that finished. And uh, no errors, so the data went to S3. Um, and uh, right, and this one, yeah, uh, we'll skip that one. So, so now we, we've just to sum up what, what we did with uh, uh, EMR and Spark ML, we took that schematized data that Glue created for us in the data catalog. It's essentially a meta, uh, meta store. Um, Spark was able to query that data, pulling out particular fields. Uh, it took those, rendered them in numerical fashion, trained a decision tree, took that decision tree classifier model, and then fed it, fed it um, uh, previously unseen samples and got predictions for what the income would be. Uh, and then those results were sent back to uh, S3 using, using the, the, um, the, the database that we, we uh, um, connected to at the beginning. Okay, so let's now look at... Um, Athena, um, and maybe it's worth summarizing, showing the, um, just a recap, oops, where'd it go? This one right here, just to remind everybody. Okay, so, so we're now done all these steps. We've got data uh, sitting in S3, and uh, we're going to now query it with uh, Athena. So I'll go back here. Type in Athena, there we go. Okay, and Athena is a fully managed service. There's no servers, no cluster to, to spin up and, and run. Um, and what we're gonna do is take our CSV table here with various uh, attributes and uh, write a query. We can do, so like this is the uh, original raw data from uh, CSV2. Limit, let's do 100. Okay, so here's, here's the original data that we, we uh, uh, pull, pulled off the internet, put into um, um, S3, ran through, ran through glue, and you can see it's, it's structured, and we've got 100 samples there. We can now, you can see, remember I deleted that predicted incomes table? previously, before we started. Uh, we now have a predicted incomes table showing up, um, thanks to uh, Spark uh, sending that back to uh, the Metastore. And we've got these attributes, including the, the predicted label. And uh, for this, we can let's run a new query. Okay. 
and what do we call it? Predicted incomes limit 100. Okay. So there's the data there. If we scroll over, you can see the, the predicted label. Okay. So we can interact with the data. We could uh, run additional queries on it, uh, et cetera. And now, um, quick site. Let's see. Services. Quick site. There we go. Okay, and all dashboards. Make that a little larger. We'll just go to uh, convenient data source. And so, so here we, um, the data was, was on S3. It's pulled into Spice, which you can see over here. Probably a little hard to see. Um, and um, we, we can very uh, easily generate these, these graphics uh, and then uh, share those with, yeah, we can create a story, storyboard. Well, I guess we have a storyboard already, do we? Um, let's see, visualize. You could change the graphs as well. Okay, and let's see. Export. I'm trying to remember how you uh, share it with somebody. Um, but it's, it's via a, a story, so you can put together your selection of the various visualizations. Um, they're already on the web, and then you, you can share those with uh, other users, including our, our marketing director. So um, with that, um, that that's the, the demo. Um, as you can see, things move pretty quickly with the services, most of them being managed services. That's the, the way to go if you want agility. Um, and if you want elasticity and scalability, you know, make sure you're using things like S3 uh, and, um, and uh, scalable clusters like EMR. I, I forgot to mention that it can dynamically change. You can auto-scale EMR. So if you've got more data to, to uh, crunch, um, you can set thresholds and criteria for that automatic expansion. So a lot of tools. Um, it takes time to play with them and, and get to get familiar with them. Think about scenarios like this hypothetical one where you know you're trying to trying to leverage existing data, train a model, and then be able to predict on new data that you you haven't previously seen and leverage that uh, in your business. So with that, I'll take questions and uh, we'll uh, we'll do that now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, you don't program glue. Well, okay, so, so glue, you can create classifiers. Um, right now, we, we um, support Python. Um, it's a good question. I don't know if we would move to Scala or not. Uh, Python is very popular for doing ETL and transformations and classifications. Um, but 
that, that's a good suggestion. I, we can. I don't, but um, I I think the slides. I can probably update the slides with a with a link uh, online for for people to follow. Um, uh, yeah, and and the the Scala code for for doing the machine learning. I can share that as well. And and these data these data sets we can share. They're U.S. Census data. So. Search what? Yeah, yeah, if you search on the, the identifier for our. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was in the Scala code in Spark ML. Yeah, it instantiated a decision tree classifier. Yeah, it's, decision trees are very popular because they they're, they work with both categorical data and numerical data, um, and and they're they're pretty robust and high performance. So so they're um, yeah, you could you could have numerical predictions. The, in this case, we we had binary, you know, greater than or less than fifty k, uh, but you could have a numerical um, output as well. Yeah, but there there are other probably better ones like linear regression that would would be better for that. Oh, in SageMaker. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, Spark definitely has um, more than one linear regression model, um, and um, SageMaker, if it doesn't have it today, it will very soon have it. Yep. Yep. Yeah, the QuickSight. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Well, well. So, so why would you need QuickSight if you? Why would you need Athena if you've got QuickSight? So, they're 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 apples and oranges. So, so QuickSight is for visualization. It's it's um, you you wouldn't do high performance predictions. You wouldn't do you wouldn't do queries. You know, complex queries on it. It's more for um, there are there's like uh, you know data scale limits. Um, and that kind of thing. Like it, it, um, it depends on the size of your your spice uh, engine. You have to when you um, sign up, you have to decide how much uh, RAM you want your spice engines to have. So things like that. Yeah, this was a small, this was a small set of data. Yeah. Well, Athena Athena is for doing complex SQL queries, like ANSI SQL. Uh, with nested nested uh, subqueries and and that kind of thing, um, uh, QuickSight is really just for rendering as as um, um, graphs and charts. Well, what you can do is run Athena on some data um, to create a specialized view. You know, like, uh, pulling out certain columns, a materialized view, and then you could you could store you could create a data store from the results of Athena. And then you can go to QuickSight and, and point to that data source and have and do graphical rendering of the data. So you can use the two of them. 
Right. Well, so yeah, Quick QuickSight can interface with with um, it can inter it can interface with um, Athena tables, but also Redshift, um, and so so you can you can tap into other data sources. I used S3 because that's that's the one with the the best. Uh, value proposition in my mind, you know, the scale, elasticity, the low cost, and yeah, yeah, but it doesn't have to be S3, it could be an RDS um, database as well. Yep. Mm -hmm. CSV, yeah. Um, JSON, uh, XML, Parquet, ORC. Trying to think if there's anything else. So anything like the Pretty much Hadoop, Hadoop um, standard to Hadoop formats. Yeah, it looks at your data. It, it, it replaces the heavy lifting that you would normally do. Um, if you had your, your raw data, you would, you would go in and look at it, try to figure out you know, what, what is the appropriate data type for this column or field. Um, and you know what? What should my table look like? And then you would create the meta meta store entry manually, right? What this is doing is saving you from all that. You put your data on S3, crawl it, and then and then it creates the meta store entry for you. Yeah, Spark Spark can query CSV um, data as well. But what, what you're trying to do with, with Glue is to create a Metastore entry. You're, you're trying to figure out, a, you're trying to schematize the data so that it can be used in a variety of ways. It could be used for, for Presto, it could be used for, for um, you know, loading into a, 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 H, into a relational database. Um, so, so you, and, and it's a, it's a the Metastore is persistent. So, so even if your, cluster, your EMR cluster goes away, that, that uh, data is still on S3, and there's a tabular interpretation of it um, in, in, the, uh, metas in the data catalog. So, so it's, it's, you know, it lives beyond the, the cluster. The, the, the Spark version, the schema interpretation only lasts as long as Spark is running, right? Change the location. Change the location. Yep. For the for the external table. Yep. Right. They want to know how, how you predict it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, so, the, so the question is, how can you understand uh, in the dis decision tree? Can you understand what, um, how it arrives at its predictions? Um, yes. That's that's in fact one of the real benefits of decision trees. Some of these other more exotic. Um, uh, machine learning models are fairly opaque, 
and it's hard. It's certainly, think, you know, things like deep learning models. Um, you've got a bunch of neurons and weights between them, and and the sheer number is just astronomical. So um, decision trees have that advantage: is that you can actually see what's the criteria to go from one node to down one branch and then a sub-branch and so on. You can actually see that that criteria. Yeah, you'd have to uh, interrogate the interrogate the um, decision the model that that's been trained. Yeah. Yeah, Python. Yeah, Spark. Spark does a, a lot of languages. Spark. There's Python, which is super popular. Scala. You could do Java if you're a masochist, maybe. But <laughs> um, R. Spark R. Um, what else is there? I think. Um, no, there are there are actually better notebooks for like managing individuals. So things like Jupyter notebooks are better, where you can actually have separate user accounts. Um, the, actually, that, that, that's not true because um, if you if you look at um, Jupiter is getting very popular. Yeah, can't think and type at the same time. So, so Zeppelin is um, it, it, it's it, it's good for things like Spark and and so on. Jupiter w um, is largely used for things like Python. Um, I, I guess you can use Jupiter for Scala as well. It, it depends on what interpreters uh, have been. Uh, Plugged in. I think even Presto, you can run Presto uh, through through uh, Jupiter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Here's here it is. So so there is actually some some. Um, oh yeah. Here credential. I don't know what that does actually. Nothing's popping up. Um, but but apparently there there's. Um, I don't know why it's not. It's, Maybe I lost my connection. Oh. Yeah. Well, hopefully, you, you got a sense of kind of the the, the breadth of uh, functionality and how you can go fairly quickly once you get comfortable with how things work. Um, you can very quickly zip through these things and and go from raw data to predictions to visualizing results. Okay. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't have a lot of time to put this together. So had I had more time, I would have researched better, better data sources. Uh, I mean, a lot of the, the value you get is a function of the, of the size and quality of the data set and, you know, what kind of attributes are present. So, um, but good, good point. We, we do have a, an AWS public data sets site where you can get big data data sets uh, on S3 that are world readable. Um, so from your own account, from your, your own AWS account, you can work with those data sets which are already in the cloud. You're not paying for that storage. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we have things like the New York City taxi cab uh, data set, uh, which is massive. That's like a petabyte. Um, or a billion records anyways. Um, I'm sorry, you, I think you raised your hand first. Um, let's say you have your data lake in S3, mm -hmm. Well, so, so data in S3 by default, is, without you doing anything, is secured. The only way it, it becomes unsecured is if you deliberately make it world re readable or you decide to, to make it readable by others. Yeah, um, now, uh, let's see, the, the Athena, yeah, Athena can work with encrypted fields and columns, I believe, yes, if I remember correctly. Yes, yep. more details than, than I showed. Well, what I did was distributed training. Right, so Spark, um, the way Spark works is it essentially uh, partitions the data, spreads the data across the cluster, okay? And then it pushes copies of the code to the data. So each, each partition is working with a different slice of the data. Now there is rep there's replication within the cluster, at least in on-prem. Um, with EMR, we're we're taking advantage of S3's durability, but um, the data gets partitioned, and so you get these nodes with multiple cores, each running a copy of the code, processing their own local data. Right, um, but then there are there are um, there's what they call shuffling, where you bring bring related data together. Um, for final roll-ups and aggregations and results that way. That's a very simplified explanation of how Spark works. Yep. Well, there was no deep learning here. This was machine, this was a, a traditional decision tree. Yep. Um, so, Well, so, so deep learning you would, would probably, well, the best way to do deep learning would be on SageMaker because that's a managed service. It takes a lot of the headache away. It, it's managing multiple containers, ECS containers, um, for um, managed training. So, so you have your data and you simply make a call with your data um, indicating what, what kind of training you want. The service does the training for you. There's, no, there's nothing for you to spin up and manage that way. 
uh, and then you get a trained model coming back, and then you can deploy that into production. That's the best way to do deep learning. You could also take deep learning AMIs, uh, deep learning AMI, and deploy it on, mu on multiple EC, um, um, EC2s or um, uh, ECS containers. You could do it that way as well. You can put load balancers in front of it. Um, that's more work. Uh, but it's still virtualized servers, so so you're not having to you know buy hardware to do your your deep learning. Yeah. All right, um, how I think we probably need to wrap it up. One last question. I'm sorry. Compare Athena and S3. Oh, S3 Select. Yeah, that's brand new. Um, you heard it the first time I did, <laughs> so uh, it's. Yeah, what it's doing essentially is is uh, pruning this, this search tree, I guess. It's pushing predicates down to the S3 level so that instead of S3 returning all the data for something else to filter and, and, and uh, work through and decide on, it's you push predicates down to the S3 level and then S3 only returns what matches the predicates. So it cuts down dramatically on the amount of, of I.O. Presto does push down of predicates as well. Yeah, um, but this is at, at the S3 level, uh, S3 select. Well, yeah, you can, you can definitely get a performance boost with S3, S3 um, select, yeah, because it's, it's operating at the, it's, it's, it's um, avoiding unnecessary data I.O. It's only sending back the data that actually matches the predicate. So, okay. <laughs> the ML? So, so Glue um, does ETL, it transforms the data, and it schematizes the data, puts an entry in the Metastore. Meta um, you don't do, do machine learning on, on uh, glue, right? You need EMR to take advantage of Spark ML, right? Um, so so glue, is not, uh, glue isn't so much compute as it is ETL and, and uh, schematizing the data. So, so it, 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 um, it's not designed for machine learning. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, so um, it's a, you have to understand with, with big data, you don't want to be moving or copying data. So what is the schematiz schematizing, what it's doing is defining an interpretation of the data that's already persisted. You're not going to move, you're not going to move that data, you're not going to copy it anywhere, you're going to leave it where it is create a Metastore entry that, that superimposes a definition or defines, defines an interpretation so that then something like um, Hive or Pig and Spark and you know, um, Presto can, can then query, query that data um, by, by essentially scanning the data, but it's leveraging that Metastore table definition for the data. 
I'm sorry, say that again. Uh, no, there's, well, no, no. So, so glue has two functions. Um, it, it has the ETL capability, and we didn't go through that. Um, that's where you can define how you want data um, transformed, um, cleaned up, perhaps. Uh, and, but the, the key thing was, that I showed was the data catalog, that where, where it crawls your data on S3. It could be other data sources, but it crawls your data on S3 and figures out what that uh, Metastore tabular interpretation should be and creates an entry in the Metastore to be used by EMR and other things, Athena. It is a hive data store, essentially, yeah. But it but it's automating the creation of the entries in, in the hive meta store. So okay. All right. Thanks everybody.